the famous and highly decorated American general, Douglas MacArthur, is attributed with the quote, rules are mostly made to be broken and are too often for the lazy to hide behind. I think quite a few people have adopted some version of that saying. Rules are meant to be broken. I make my own rules. I'm a non-conformist. Some people take pride in this sort of thing. I wonder what you think about rules. Do you tend to have a positive thought on rules on how they are helpful and how they are good? Or do you tend to have a negative view, more like General MacArthur, that they are meant to be broken, they are restrictive, they get in the way? I'm sure that your perspective on rules has something to do with your experiences with them. Maybe you're the one who has made rules that are meant to be helpful and you have a positive view. Maybe you have uh, been someone who's been subject to unfair rules or burdensome rules. I know that when my wife and mother-in-law ran an adult family home, they had a large binder full of very specific rules. My wife wanted to follow the rules, but it was hard to know all of them and to make sure that you followed all of them to the letter, which made the annual inspection very stressful. Rules. What do you think about rules? What is your reaction to instructions, to commands, to being told what to do? Well, we've been working through some of the Psalms on Sunday mornings, and Psalm 119 is our text today. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, as it is the longest chapter in the Bible, totaling 176 verses. I could make things easy on myself and just read the chapter as the sermon. (laughs) Decided to go a little different direction. For the sake of our time, we're going to focus on the first 32 verses. But I'll also be referencing other verses in this chapter. The structure of this psalm is amazing. John Collins notes that the psalm's structure observes a strict acrostic pattern. It comprises 22 stanzas of eight verses each, following the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in sequence. Within a stanza, the first word of each verse begins with the same letter, the letter to which the entire stanza corresponds. We don't see this, obviously, in our English translations, but if you were a Hebrew reader reading it in the original Hebrew, you would see that each of these 22 eight-verse sections corresponds to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet with each line beginning with that letter of the alphabet. Think how much work that must have taken. Think about the intentionality, the discipline, writing this psalm in this way, this very lengthy, highly structured psalm. It is truly a thing of beauty. So, what is the purpose of this lengthy and tightly structured psalm? Well, Psalm 119 praises and celebrates the word of God. God's word is a precious 
gift. And the psalm seeks to inspire God's people to study and obey. Before we read verses 1 through 32, I want to call your attention to a few things. In our passage, we see God's revelation, the value of God's revelation, the psalmist's request, and the psalmist's commitments. So again, we see God's revelation, the value of God's revelation, the psalmist's requests, and the psalmist's commitments. So I'm going to read Psalm 119, verses 1, uh, verses 1 through 32, and I encourage you to follow along. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Well, the first thing I want to call attention to is divine revelation. As I said earlier, Psalm 119 celebrates and praises the word of God. But did you notice that in the first nine verses of this psalm, the author used eight terms for divine revelation. 
We see the word law in verse one, testimonies in verse two, ways in verse three, precepts in verse four, statutes in verses five and eight, commandments in verse six, rules in verse seven, and word in verse nine. All these different words give us different angles and perspectives on divine revelation, on the reality that God has revealed himself to us. And the first word used to describe divine revelation is Torah, which in our English Bibles is translated as law. But what does the word Torah mean? Well, when we, heard, when we hear the word law, we may be inclined to think of the Ten Commandments or the laws described in the book of Leviticus. We may think of specific rules, regulations, and laws. And while the law of the Lord certainly includes those things, the law or Torah is broader than that. James Hamilton writes, Torah includes much more than the various biblical rules and regulations that the English translation law might suggest. The Hebrew term connotes the history of God's acts to deliver his people and all the instructions that he has given in his word. Torah may have originally referred to the first five books of the Bible, which are also called the Pentateuch. But as the canon of scripture grew, additional books became uh, came to be included in the concept of the Torah. And we see this in the New Testament. For example, in John chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus quoted Psalm chapter 82, verse 6, and said, is it not written in your law? That would be the Hebrew word there, equivalent to the Hebrew word of Torah. And so when we hear the word law, we don't want to only think about such things as the Ten Commandments, but we want to think about God's revelation of himself through his divine acts and through all of his instructions that he's given through his word. The law of the Lord refers to his wonderful and glorious revelation of himself through his word. And these other words provide us with a well-rounded understanding of God's revelation through his word. He has revealed himself to us. He has revealed his will. He has revealed his ways. He has revealed how we are called to live as his people in right relationship with him. The Lord has made himself known to us through his word. And so we see that the words used to describe God's revelation teach us that he has revealed his will, what he has appointed to be done, what he has commanded, what he says is right and just, and how we are to live a life that is pleasing to him. He reveals all these things to us so that we will know him and know how to live as his people. We are not left to wonder. We are not left to wonder who he is, what he is like, what he expects from us. Praise the Lord, we are not left in the dark because God has made himself known. The question then is, how well do you know God? In light of the fact that he has 
revealed himself to us, how well do you know him? Can you describe his character and nature? Do you know his will? Is your understanding of justice and righteousness shaped by his word? Are you well-versed in his commands for your life? Brothers and sisters, God has revealed himself to us. And his word is meant to shape us and form us as his people. The second thing I want to call attention to is the value of God's revelation. We've seen that God has revealed himself, but what does the psalmist think about God's word? How does he value divine revelation? What we see in Psalm 119 is that he employs a variety of language and imagery to impress on us the value of God's word. The psalm begins by boldly declaring that those who walk in the law of the Lord keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart are blessed. This should remind us of Psalm chapter one, which says that blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. As I shared in the first Psalm sermon, Blessed refers to happiness in a joyful state of mind. But it has, it has a deeper sense than light and momentary happiness and speaks more to a kind of whole life flourishing. Blessed refers to a whole life flourishing, a flourishing life. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't we like our lives to be described in that way? <laughs> Whole life flourishing. Well, Scripture teaches that whole life flourishing comes through delighting in and meditating on the law of the Lord, the Torah, God's revelation of himself. The law of the Lord, the Torah, leads to whole life flourishing. The first couple of verses really set the tone for the rest of the psalm regarding the value of God's word. Because God's word leads to whole life flourishing, in verse 14 he writes, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. In verse 72, we read, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And in verse 127, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Think about that. Think of the value he's placing on God's word. Here are the riches of the world. All the riches of the world. God's word is better. Think about how we value riches. We value in our culture material possessions. There is a constant yearning for more, better, newer possessions. We value financial wealth. 
We want to make more money. We want to see more money in our savings account. We want to see our retirement accounts increasing steadily. We have insurance for all kinds of things to protect our assets. Our culture places a high value on the riches of the world. Human beings in general tend to put a high value on the riches of the world. But the psalmist says, your word is better and more valuable to me than all the riches this world has to offer. Why does he say that? Well, think about what we believe when we strive for more. What are we believing? What are we believing in our hearts when we're striving for more possessions, more money, more of the riches of the world? What do we think about these things? What do we believe? We believe that they will make us happy, that they will bring satisfaction, that we will have joy, that they will somehow, some way make us whole. But what was the psalmist absolutely convinced of? That the Lord is the one who makes us happy. The, the Lord and only the Lord can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. The world can't satisfy. You can get all the riches the world has to offer and it will not satisfy you. But the Lord will. The Lord satisfies. The Lord brings contentment and peace and true joy. What you value reveals what you believe will make you happy, satisfied, satisfied and whole. And how do we know what we value? Well, what do you long for and delight in? In verse 20, he said, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. How often do we hear that? How often do we hear people longing for rules? Yes, rules. I know there are a few firstborn children in here are like, yes, amen. This is the sermon I've been waiting for. This is good. Preach that. Longing for God's rules, yearning for it, not begrudgingly accepting God's rules out of a sense of duty, but longing for God's rules. I long for them, yearning, desiring. That is what I want. He did not view God's rules as oppressive and restrictive and as preventing him from experiencing the good life. No, he viewed them as the means to the good life. This is the way, your rules are the way to know true life. In verses 47 through 48, he wrote, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands for your commandments, which I love. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. 
Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Wow. A love for, a longing, a yearning, a desire within his innermost being for God's rules, God's laws, God's commands, his instructions, his testimonies. In verse 165, he said, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Brothers and sisters, we need to have our perspective and our hearts shaped by this psalm so that we don't adopt the world's views of rules and commands and instructions whereby the world says they need to be cast off. They need to be thrown aside. They need to be broken. Rather, we need to have our hearts shaped by Psalm 119 so we say God's rules are good. They are good and they are good for us. His law is good. His commands are good. We want to know them and obeying them glorifies him and is good for us. And by longing for them, by delighting in them, by meditating on them, we will know great peace. What more could the psalmist say in this chapter to impress on us the value of God's word? Do you see how his delighting in, longing for, and loving God's word challenges the attitudes of our hearts as well as the instincts and intuitions of our culture? He does not delight in himself. He does not put an emphasis on following his heart. He does not take pride in breaking the rules or making his own rules or being a nonconformist. I do things my way. No, it's the opposite. He does not delight in himself. He does not trust in himself. He does not make his own rules. He does not follow his heart. Instead, he says, Lord, I Love your law, your rules, your commandments, and I want to know them so that I can fully obey them. In other words, he did not put himself at the center of his world. The way he values God's word reveals that he puts God at the center of the world. What God reveals is most important. What God says is what he needs to hear. God's commands are what he needs to obey. God's ways are what he needs to follow. And again, not begrudgingly. Verse 103, he said, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, better than gold, and sweeter than honey. The Bible Society has a video uh, you can watch of a tribe in Indonesia receiving the New Testament in their language for the first time. It's an extraordinary video. 
the whole community comes out as the plane flies in with copies of the New Testament in their language that they are receiving for the first time, and they are rejoicing. The whole community is celebrating and dancing and shouting, and you see people with tears in their eyes because for the first time, they can read the whole New Testament in their language. Everybody is there. Everybody is rejoicing. Everybody is celebrating. What a picture of the value of God's word. They get it. They get what we see here in Psalm 119. This is valuable. This is precious. And they rejoiced and they celebrated and they welcomed the reception of God's word. What about you? What value do you place on God's word? Is it better than financial wealth? Do you consider it sweeter than honey? Do you believe, do you love God's word and consider it the joy of your heart? Do you have peace in your life which comes through delighting, delighting in and meditating on God's word? If you were to reflect on your life over the past month, what evidence would there be that you love God's word, long for God's word, delight in God's word? I hope we can spur one another on to love and cherish God's word like the psalmist here in chapter 119. So far, we've seen God's revelation and the value of God's revelation. God has made himself known to us, and his word is exceedingly precious. Now we turn our attention to the psalmist's response. And broadly speaking, there are two things that stand out in our passage regarding his response. First, what the psalmist requests of the Lord, and second, what he commits to do. So first, we'll look at what the psalmist requests of the Lord. Knowing the value of God's word and knowing his own weaknesses and sinful tendencies, the author made requests of the Lord. We saw this in verse 12, which says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. In verse 26, he said, teach me your statutes. And in verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. The heart posture of the psalmist is an eagerness to learn, a willingness to be taught, and a desire to understand. Think how much joy a parent has when their child is eager to learn from them and obey. Think about a teacher, how much delight it brings to a teacher. When that teacher has a classroom full of students who come eager to learn. Think about how much joy it brings to a coach when his or her players come to practice, ready to learn, wanting to learn the game so that they can play better. Think how much it means to a boss or a manager when he or she has employees who come to work wanting to learn how to best do the job with that eager attitude. I want to learn to do this well. When any one of us in a position of authority or leadership, we, we greatly appreciate those who are under our watch and are eager to learn. 
The question is, are you that way toward the Lord and his word? Think about how pleasing it is to the Lord when his children are eager to learn from him through diligently studying his word, through hearing his word preached and taught. His desire for us is to have that eager posture, desiring to learn, to grow in our knowledge and understanding, never believing that we've arrived. What a silly thing to think when it comes to God's word. We will never arrive. There will always be more to learn. I've shared this before. Uh, but my dad is an incredibly smart and knowledgeable person. He got his degree in English literature from Seattle University. He got his law degree from Boston College. He's been practicing law for dozens of years. He has read through the Bible many times over. He keeps himself informed with current events. He knows history and all these different things. He's just an incredibly smart person. I know what you're thinking. What happened to me? I don't know. But my dad is just a very smart, brilliant person. But one of the things that stands out to me when I think about my dad is not how smart he is, but it's when he has a conversation with you, he expects that he's gonna learn something from you. That stands out to me clearly in my mind. He never has the attitude that you should learn from me. He never tries to impress you with how much he knows. Instead, he engages in conversations, asking questions, listening attentively, expecting to learn something. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter what education you have. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't, none of that matters. He talks to you expecting and eager to learn something. How eager are you to learn? Do you have that same type of eagerness, seeking to learn, eager to learn, desiring to understand? Do you approach studying God's word in this way? Do you show up on Sunday with that type of attitude? Do you go to Bible study or road group with an eagerness to learn from the word and from your brothers and sisters in Christ? We learn from God's word and we learn about God's word from one another. How awesome to be a part of a church family where everyone has this eagerness to learn. No one has this attitude of, I've got it all. You ought to learn from me. Don't we want to be that kind of community where we're all eager to learn and we all believe that we can learn from one another? That is a good thing. That is an attractive and compelling community. The psalmist also acknowledged his complete dependence on the Lord in verse 18 when he said, open my eyes that I, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 
His request provides a commendable example of humility. Lord, I need you to open my eyes. Otherwise, I will remain blind. It doesn't matter how much I read or study. We need the Lord to open our eyes. Otherwise, we will remain spiritually blind to the glorious riches of his word. Open my eyes that I might see and behold the wondrous things out of your law. We need him to make us spiritually alive. We need him to open our spiritual eyes so that we will not view his law as restrictive, as boring, as dull, but as glorious and wondrous. In verse 25, he prayed, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. God's word gives us life. And in verse 28, he said, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. When we are overcome with sorrow, the Lord strengthens us according to his word. Brothers and sisters, all these requests should shape how we pray. We should prayerfully study God's word, praying, Lord, teach me. Teach me your word. Help me to understand your word. As I read, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, I'm completely dependent on you. Give me life according to your word. Help me to know and understand and believe that true life, abundant life comes through your word, not the riches of the world. Lord, give me strength. I am weak. Lord, I am weak. I am sinful. I am discouraged. I am full of sorrow. I'm heartbroken. I need your strength. Please strengthen me according to your word. These are the things we pray as we seek God in his word, as we hear his word preached, as we go to Bible study or road group. Let's pray these things. Let's make these requests of the Lord as the psalmist made these requests. The scripture helps us pray, helps us to know what to pray. Here's the example we are to follow in making our requests to the Lord. The Lord is delighted to answer when we pray in this way. Finally, I want to call attention to what the psalmist commits to do. Not only did he humbly make requests of the Lord, eager to learn, acknowledging his dependence on him, asking for life and strength, but he also resolved to respond to his word in the right way. And there are many references to what the psalmist commits to do, so we'll just look at a few. In verse 8, he said, I will keep your statutes. In verse 7, he said, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. And in verses 33 and 34, he wrote, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Keeping God's statutes, his word and his law, speaks to obeying his word from a willing heart. Obeying his word from a willing heart. And not only did he commit to keep his word, but he also resolved to meditate on his word. 
Numerous times throughout the chapter, the psalmist expressed his commitment to meditate on God's word. He would not take God's word lightly. Instead, he would study his word and continually think on it. I know that for some of us, it's very easy to read the word, close it, and quickly forget what we've read. But what we see here is this commitment to meditate on God's word, where we don't only read it, we don't only study it, we don't only hear it preached and taught, but we continue to think about it even after we do those things. We continue to reflect upon it and think about how we can apply it to our own hearts and lives. We want God's word continually reverberating through our hearts and mind. That's how it shapes us, by meditating on it, reflecting on it, thinking about it. We want God's word to reverberate through our hearts and minds. Finally, he resolved to delight in God's word. He would not merely study it and obey it, but he would make it his delight. He would be excited about God's word. He would long for God's word. He would seek God's word with his whole heart, knowing that it brought joy. Keeping God's word, meditating on God's word, delighting in God's word. These are things that he resolved to do, that he committed to do in light of the fact that God has revealed himself and in light of the fact that God's revelation is exceedingly precious. What are, what are you resolved to do in response to God's word? Is it clear that God's word is your ultimate authority in your life? Well, we've just begun to scratch the surface of Psalm 119. And what we've seen is that God has revealed himself. His revelation is exceedingly valuable. And the psalmist uh, responded to God's word by making requests of the Lord and by committing to respond in a particular way. John's gospel begins with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And skipping down to verse 14, we read, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The greatest divine revelation is the word made flesh, the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, God in person. The good news, the gospel that we proclaim is that God saves sinners like us through Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. God made us all. He has created us in his image to know him, to love him, to enjoy him, to glorify him. And he has made that possible through, through revealing himself to us. But rather than responding rightly to his divine revelation, we've all sinned. We've all sinned against the Lord. We've all disobeyed his law, his good commands. And because of that, we deserve judgment. We deserve judgment. But God in his mercy, in his kindness, has provided a way 
for us to be forgiven of our sins, to be forgiven of our rebellion against him, and to be reconciled to him. He has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world as the word made flesh, revealing God. And he lived a life without sin, which we've all failed to do. And then he went to the cross and he died upon the cross to take the punishment for our sin in our place. He was buried, he was dead, but on the third day he rose from the grave, conquering death. And he appeared to hundreds of people for 40 days, proving that he is alive. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And friends, he will return. There will be a day of final judgment. Our hope on the day of final judgment is in Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian, Christ has commanded the way we are to respond to this good news, the gospel. He calls upon everyone to repent of their sin, to believe in him, and to be saved. If you are not a Christian, that is what he calls you to do, to repent of your sin, to believe in him, and to be saved. May today be the day of salvation. For those of us who are Christians, who have repented, who have believed, who are saved, we are called to follow Jesus. And listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We demonstrate our love for Jesus by keeping his commandments. We cannot separate our love for Jesus from our love for his word and our eagerness and desire to obey his good commands. And as a church family, we are meant to be shaped by God's word. We are to continually look to God's word in our own times of devotion. When we gather together as his people throughout the week, when we get together to study the Bible, we are meant to be a people who are continually shaped and transformed by his word. May we celebrate and praise the word of God as the psalmist in chapter 119. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have revealed yourself to us. You have made yourself known. We are not left in the dark. We do not have to wonder. Rather, we can know you. We pray that you would help us to rightly value your word. Help us to cherish it, to delight in it, to rejoice in it. And we pray, Lord, that we will seek you, asking for your help, that you might teach us that you might help us to understand. We pray that we would be resolved to keep your word, to meditate on your word, Lord, and to delight in your word. We pray that we will be a people who are continually shaped and transformed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.